0: And now let us hear the word of God from 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and 12. I repeat, let no one take me for a fool, but if you do, then tolerate me just as you would a fool, so that I may be do so that I may do a little boasting. And this self-confident boasting, I'm not talking as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many are boasting in the way the world does, I will too boast. You gladly put up with fools since they are so wise. In fact, you even put up with anyone who enslaves you or exploits you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or slaps you in the face. To my shame, I admit that we are too weak for that. Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I'm speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been imprisoned prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak, and I do not feel weak. Who is led into sin, and I do not inwardly burn. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor under King Eridus had the city of, De- of the Damascenes guarded in order to arrest me, but I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through his hands. I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained. I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself, except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool, because I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain. So no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, and insults, and hardships, and persecutions, and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning, church. I'll try that again. Good morning, church. Good morning. Oh, I just love, I love when people get excited. Thank you for saying good morning with me. Thank you for being here. I don't know why it finally struck me last night that this week is Thanksgiving week. I mean, I didn't feel like it was. It just came so fast, and I don't know why I wasn't prepared for it. Maybe it was because I felt like it came so fast, or maybe the weather wasn't cool enough for me to feel like it's Thanksgiving time, or maybe because the Gators have been so bad at football that I haven't been paying attention to college football. They've been so bad that I forgot about paying attention to college football, and that's usually how I keep track of the seasons. Uh, So bad. uh. But I was reminded last night that I just suddenly realized that this is Thanksgiving week. I don't know what that means for you, but for me, I'm reminded again to be thankful and to recall all that I am thankful for. And so this morning, I just wanted to start off by saying, I am so thankful for all of you. This wonderful body that God has called together to be the preview of the kingdom, to be adventurers of the kingdom, to be church and to be family together. And You guys know how much I value you and how much you guys feel like family to me. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. When I was a kid... When I was a kid, I was in high school, I told my parents that I wanted to go into full-time ministry. I felt called by God. I wanted to be a pastor. And my mom's response to me was after weeping and gnashing of teeth and tearing up. She was not upset, happy about it. But after her getting over how unhappy they were that I didn't want to be a doctor, they said to me, Lawrence, you need to work on your Korean. Your Korean is not good enough for you to become a Korean pastor. And I said, well, why do I have to, I'm, I'm, I don't speak Korean. I'm not really. I mean, I can speak it like a five-year-old. Why do I have to be a Korean pastor? And my parents said, because you'll never have a church in America that will allow you to be their pastor. Amen. And I look at you, and I look at what God has allowed us to do together. To be a pastor of a church that doesn't all look the same. To be a body together that we, you know, might not all have race, ethnicity, and all the common things that would make us all come together. But we have the most important thing. The love of Jesus. The blood that unifies us and unites us and brings us together. And so when I say I'm thankful for you, believe me when I say I'm truly thankful for you. I love you guys so much, and the fact that we get to do this journey together just moves my heart. Okay, enough sappiness, sorry. We got a famous passage of scripture to talk about today in 2 Corinthians, and many scholars have debated this passage because all everyone wants to talk about is the juicy stuff, right? Everybody's like, what is Paul's thorn in the flesh? Am I right? When you heard this passage, that's like the main thing that you thought about, right? Is that there's a thorn in the flesh, I've heard about this, what is this thorn in the flesh? Was it? Was it eyes or malaria, or was it a sin, or what was it sin? Was it a juicy sin? What could it be? Am I right? So you guys are like, that's what, that's what the scholars have debated this over and over again. So I'm just going to be honest with you up front, so in case you're looking forward to this happening in the sermon today, I am not going to tell you what the thorn in the flesh is. I'm not. All right, so sorry about that. You guys are like, oh, man. I'm not going to tell you because if anybody tells you they know exactly what it is, they are wrong and they're lying. All right? Paul is intentional, and you'll see why he was intentional, but not saying what his thorn in the flesh is. Is that okay? So let's go into what this text of Scripture is actually saying. So guys, remember last week we talked about what what are we looking for? What should we look for in our leaders? What should we look for? Because Paul's having to defend himself as a leader of the church. So he's addressing false teachers that have incited rebellion against him. Remember he calls them the super apostles, mocking them for their claims of being sent by Jesus, or by the 12 apostles. These were the ones who put themselves on a hyper level of spirituality by showing off. They made grand claims about themselves, and they were successful in leading the church astray. They were full of pride and boasting, and they spoke very well. They were eloquent, they, they, they looked really glamorous and good. As we learned, they discredited Paul by saying, though his letters were weighty, he was quite unimpressive in person. Paul then had to react. So the church would not listen to his humble pleading and exhortations. He played the same game as the super apostles did. Something he disliked doing and refrained from doing before. And that was a game of boasting. Paul's literally saying, I hate that you're making me do this. But if you must, if you're making me do this, then I must, then I can play this game as well. That's my translation of Paul's saying here. He's saying, I hate that you're, you're putting your value in what these guys are boasting. I hate that. And you, you want boasting? Fine. I'll give you boasting, even though he says says it's the way of a fool. Right? How many times did he say over and over again? Paul, who's outwardly weak, would uncover the actual weakness of his enemies by exposing the foolishness of their worldly boasting, supported by his boasting of his weakness, in order to reveal the real power behind his strength. That is the strength that can be found in weakness. So let's first look at the boasting of the world. Look at verse 16. It says, I repeat, no one take me for a fool, but if you do, then tolerate me just as you would a fool, so that I may be doing a little boasting. He's speaking to the Corinthian church. They're giving their time to these super apostles. He says, then hear me out too. If you listen to them, you listen to their type of boasting, it's like a wave of a fool, but I'll be the fool too then. Hear me out. Treat me like a fool. Let me boast a little too, to show how their boasting is so flawed. He calls this type of boasting a self-confident boasting, a boasting in the way of the world. This is the way the world boasts. It's all about self-confidence and pride. I've been watching a show on Netflix called Suits. Not endorsing the show, just admitting to watching it. So I don't know if this is a confession. Some of you might look at it as a confession. I'm confessing. Some of you might be like, oh, this is a relatable element of this guy. However you want to look at it. I'm not endorsing the show. So, there's so called suits, and a bunch of lawyers, high powered lawyers, are on the show. And their characters are prime examples of the way this world boasts the suits they wear. They look so put together, so clean. The way they speak, the way they, where they went to school, how much money they have, the way they seek power and leverage, and who they know to be like, look how high up, look how powerful, look how awesome I am. Sadly, this worldly type of boasting led the Corinthians to take the side of the super apostles instead of Paul. So in order to, to rescue his flock, if you will, he dared to boast the same way. Now he did this because he wanted to cut the ground from under the false teachers. He wanted to be considered equal with the apostles. He wanted to expose their deceit and show that the false teachers, were, and that their way was the way of foolishness. But it was unpleasant to Paul. Verse 21-23 says, Whoever, Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I'm speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast about. In other words, he acknowledging. They're boasting. I'm boasting here. This is the way of the fool, but I'm going to show them. Are they boasting about being Hebrews? I'm a Hebrew. Are they boasting about being Israelites? I'm an Israelite. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. He's constantly like, I hate doing this. He says, I'm speaking as a fool. I'm out of my mind. You can see the conflict he has when he boasts. But he must do it. The super apostles used their their lineage to try to lord it over the Gentiles, saying they were pure-bred children of Abraham, of Israel, Hebrew of Hebrews. So Paul says, so am I. So what? Now Paul does them one better here and challenges them on this point. In verse 23, are they servants of Christ? They were Jews, wonderful. Now they claim to be servants of Christ. What could they show for it? Perhaps because I was taught by Peter himself or I was circumcised on the eighth day. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. I've memorized all five books of the Pentateuch and earned the highest mark on Bible study class. And, and you know, uh, I get a rip, uh, ribbon from my Sunday school VBS. But Paul knows they're missing something. Paul knows he has something that which they don't, which proves his authenticity as a servant of Christ. Are they servants? Paul says. Am I out of my mind to talk like this? I am more. Here Paul takes a departure from the kind of boasting of the world. It talks about something different. It talks about suffering and weakness. Look at what he says in verses 23 through 27. This would take forever if we dove into all the ill times that this actually happened. So I'm just going to list what he says. He was in prison. He was flogged. He was beaten, stoned, shipwrecked, marooned. He was in danger in rivers and bandits, even fellow Jews and Gentiles. He was in danger in the city, in the country, in that sea, and from false believers. He experienced hunger, thirst, cold, nakedness. It's a list of his afflictions and his sufferings for the sake of Christ. Now He doesn't go looking for all this trouble, but it comes as he's determined to preach the gospel to the world. And he says in Galatians six seventeen, I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Though even the most difficult times, he was faithful as a servant of Christ. And the false super apostles had no such marks. In fact, to avoid persecution, they taught that the Gentiles needed to circumcise themselves. Notice also what Paul does not mention in this list above as credentials for his service. Paul does not talk about his visions. He does not talk about his ability to speak in tongues. He does not talk about his miracles that he performed. He does not talk about his... Incredible scholarship when it comes to Jewish law. Paul did all these things, but he left out those things that could cause him to lift himself up. He boast boasting those things that could easily be temptation to pride. He said boast of those things that showed his helplessness as afflictions for righteousness. I mean, just think about what he's doing here. He's been over and over, he's confronting these super apostles who are speaking hatred, speaking um propaganda against who Paul is. And they're literally saying, look how clean I look. Look how smooth I look. I got the nice outfit on, and I got the, I'm presenting. I'm a powerful speaker. I'm eloquent. Paul, he was weak and timid among you. he had been challenged over and over again. He's, and then the normal response would be they said, do you think you got something? Look what I got. I got this. I got that. Look what I can do. Look what I can do. But then he says, no, no, I can say all the same things. I'll say it just because you want me to say it. But let me show you what else is, I've got. Look at the scars. Look at the scars. Look at the wounds on my body. One more evidence of his heart for the church is his deep love and concern for the church. If you look at verses 28 and 29, it says, Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak? I do not feel weak. Who is led to sin? And I do not inwardly burn. Super apostles didn't have such empathy. They only cared that the, these people obeyed them and gave them funds. When there's someone weak, they abuse them more. But when Paul when hears of someone weak, he feels their pain. I love how Paul goes from all this incredible affliction. He talks about shipwrecks and whipped and beaten. But then he goes on the same level. He says, "I suffered all that stuff. You know what else I suffer? My care for the church, guys. I want you to understand that his affliction, his hurt when others are lost and hurting, hurts just as much as the the whipping and the floggings and the shipwrecks." Do you get that? I love that so much. Paul's putting that on the same level. He's literally saying, hey, I've been whipped. I've been shipwrecked. I've been stoned. I've been whipped with a a lash, and, and, and I've been through all the physical pain. But what hurts me just as much is when the people I love and I care for are being led astray. I have a burden, a burden for the people God placed under me. And I weep for them. I yearn for them. And when they struggle, I cry for them. I love that. Right? Isn't that beautiful? I said last week, what are you looking for in a church? What are you looking for in a leader? Can I tell you something? Not a leader who says, if, they, if you're walking away, who says, we'll forget them. You want somebody who's going to cry, who's going to weep over the ones who walk away. Does that make sense? Do you guys hear me? Paul continues to boast his weakness. Look at verse 30, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. See how he starts, if, if I must boast, he's reluctant still to do this. But he, let it be things, if we do, if you must boast, and there are times that you maybe must, like Paul, there are times that you must boast, let it be in your weakness. Let it be things that don't tempt us to pride, let, but those things that praise God, as Paul does in verse 31, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows that I am not lying. God, not us, to be praised forever. And can I cannot tell you guys, I, who often am a people pleaser, prone to pride, likes to boast in my own things. And I don't think I'm the only one in this place. Am I right? <laughs> this might be something that I'm going to venture to go down here and say we struggle with this, right? We like to build ourselves up because can I be really honest? Because deep down we are insecure. We're insecure. We want to build ourselves up because deep down we've, we're afraid that we're not important. We're not loved. So I want people to say, well, you know, I'm really smart. I'm really good at this. Or I'm really talented. Or I want people to look at me and say, man, that guy knows this or that guy knows that. Or look how impressive he is. I get that. I'm tempted by that every day. It is hard because deep down I'm afraid, what if I'm not? Deep down, I'm afraid, what if I'm not loved? What if I'm not good enough? What if I, 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 I'm not smart enough? Because I've been so much, especially so much in my life, I've, growing up the way I grew up, I've been told that you have to be smart. I joke around with this, but I've said this before. My parents, when I used to bring home a, a 95 and a test, my dad would say, a 95, huh? Yep. Was it 100? And I said, no. He said, well, you should have gotten 100. Because if you want to succeed in this world, with other kids, when they make 95, you better make five points higher than them. So that's the way I grew up. I grew up having to always feel like I have to do more. I have to earn more. I have to be better and smarter. And so then I always then feel like this extra need in my heart to be like, okay, how do I show that I'm more? How do I show that I'm more? But the way of Christ flips all that upside down. The way of Christ says, Lawrence, you're enough in me. The way of Christ says, hey, you're loved just the way you are. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to make a 99, Lawrence. You don't. You don't have to be smarter than everybody else. You don't have to be dressed a certain way. You don't have to look a certain way. You're enough in me. So then that takes away this insecurity. So then when I, can boast in, I can boast in the fact that, hey, I'm not good enough. But guess what? My God still loves me. My people, I know it's contrary. It's opposite to everything inside of us. It is, but it's so freeing. It sets us free. Boast in your weakness. Jeremiah 9, 23, 24 says, This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom, or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches. But let the one who boasts boast about this. That they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. Let us both that we have the understanding to know the Lord, who is kind, just, and righteous. In these he delights. In chapter 12, verse 1, he says, I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained. I will go on to visions and revelations from the, from the Lord. Still, I just think it's so funny. Paul's like, I don't want to do this. I hate you for making me do this. I'm going to keep on doing this, but I don't want you. It's like when I'm talking to my kid. Like, I don't want to yell at you, son. But I hate that you're making me yell at you. These super apostles have been saying, we have visions of revelation. God comes, and he speaks to us. Paul decides to say, well, since you're talking about visions of revelations, I'm going to prove to you I'm an apostle, and you're like listening to these other guys because they're seeing these super visions. Well, then, okay, I'll tell you about it. I think it's stupid. This is me and God thing. We've had experiences like this together, but I don't have to, have to share it with you, but you're forcing me to do it. And he goes on to, explain, to show that he has visions of revelation from God, but not in direct competition. He's not saying, I want to tell you about a revelation to show you I have a bigger vision and a bigger revelation. He's not saying that. He's not saying, um, they have revelations once a week. Well, I have two. He's not saying my revelations are bigger, my revelations are better. He's saying, let me show you the validity of my apostleship by showing you my revelations if that's what you need to see. They're different. The experience of God these guys are talking about is a different experience from what I've had. It's not in accord with the gospel. He says, you're forcing me to tell you about whether or not I've had visions, of revelations? Well, I'll tell you about them. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know. But God knows. I was caught up to the paradise. He heard inexpressible things, things that man is not permitted to tell. What is this? Paul is clearly talking about himself, obviously talking about it. So, why is he saying it like this? Paul says, I hate talking about this. What he's showing us is something very important. And I've been doing a lot of thought and reflection on this idea, and I think it's kind of intriguing. He's teaching us that people who have incredibly high and lofty experiences of God, who have actually come into the presence, come into his presence, who have had magnificent, overwhelming encounters with the living God, are moved to humility not pride. Let me say that again. I truly believe this is what Paul's saying here, is people who have overwhelming revelation, incredible visions of God, meeting with him in person, meeting with God, they're moved to humility, not pride. Let's take Isaiah as a prime example. Isaiah had this grand experience, an encounter with God, chapter 6 of Isaiah. But his response was to fall on his face, cry out that he was unrighteous clean. A person's response to meeting with God in such an experience is to see his state and need above all. I also find this to be true of those who have walked well with the Lord for a long time. One of the biggest fruits I often see is true humility. My people, please don't miss the lesson here. One of the the, the most evident fruits that I see of those who have truly walked well with the Lord. For a long period of time, long period of time, through suffering, through heartbreak, through ups and downs of life, what I see is true humility. And I liken it to this I liken it to myself. When I think of myself as a a college student or as a young 20 something, I was pretentious, boy. I thought I knew Jesus. <laughs> I thought everybody else was not passionate. Like, no, there's no passionate believers out there. I know Jesus. And everybody else is just, they've sold out to the world. and they sold out to having kids. And ah, it's just going to go, me and Jesus, and we're, we're on fire for the world. Everybody else doesn't know Jesus. I was a pretentious young believer. I haven't seen life and suffering yet. But there's a, a man who actually had, recently had to stop attending here because he had to move into a care facility. His name is Pastor Jim Greenlee. And Pastor Jim was one of the first pastors of actually, of Ferry Road Baptist. He's pastor emeritus here. He's been attending here where we did the whole kind of merger thing. One of the fruits I see in Pastor Jim's life is humility. He has a wealth of experience, a lifetime of leading church. Wealth of knowledge of encounters with God and revelation and visions but the first thing that you see oozing out of him more than anything else is his humility. His desire to serve and to humbly in the background lead in prayer. That is what happens when you have visions and revelations from God. Do you hear me? Does that make sense? Are people, Paul is saying if one has experience with God it's just shown character. That person should be a person of transparency, a person of integrity, a person of love, a person of holiness, a person of godliness. You should be listening to that person because you look at their life and you say, that person met with God. And that's where authority should come from. Not because of what someone claims to have experienced. A person could be deluded. People get sincerely sincerely deluded all the time. It should show in character. It should show in humility. Humility. Paul says he was caught up to the third heaven. Most likely this is just heaven. He's not saying there's like multiple levels. First heaven is sky, the, the understanding of the world. Second heaven is space. And then third is the dwelling of the Lord himself, the, our concept of heaven. Paul couldn't tell whether he was in a trance or taken up there physically like Elijah, but he was there and he heard inexpressible things he was not permitted to speak of. He was so tight-lipped about it that he kept it secret for 14 years. And even now he's only giving us a glimpse of what he experienced. Why, might he, why was he not permitted to speak of it? Well, maybe because it might have been too holy or wonderful for us to know or understand. Maybe it was to prevent Paul from being too proud and to keep him humble. Perhaps it was just for Paul's benefit so that he can be, and this is what I truly believe, this experience was for his benefit because he's about to suffer such things. So he had this experience with God because he had to prepare his heart for all the suffering he is about to go through. So Paul brings up his, brings up to show his weakness. Look at verse 7, or because of these surpassingly great revelations, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. He says we have a heaven experience, and then we have a thorn experience. That's what he's experiencing. He's sharing with me. I had a heaven experience, and now I have a thorn experience. And he says to keep me from being conceited. Paul's laying out a principle that I think is, actually kind of frightening for many of us. But it's so important for us to see. In the Christian experience, strength and weakness always go together. This is why he's saying, I, I, don't, I don't know about these super apostles. They don't seem to have the Christian experience. It's, it's kind of weird. These super apostles don't have, they seem to have this Christian experience. But for me, strength and weakness always go together. They're never apart. They're never a part in the Christian life. He's saying they're just like your left and your right foot. When you walk, your right foot gets to have your left foot, but it can't be too far apart because the next one is to come. So strength and weakness goes together in this walk and this journey that you're going on towards Christian growth. Experiences (laughs) of strength lead to experiences of weakness, and experiences of weakness lead to experiences of strength. You don't go from weakness to strength. That's not a journey. We're not just going from weakness to strength in our journey. What Paul is saying is you go from weakness to strength, Weakness to strength, weakness to strength into higher and higher realms of understanding and of power. My power is made perfect in weakness, it says. The strength leads to weakness, weakness leads to strength, and that's how you grow in power. Power is not antithetical to weakness, not a bit. He says, I wouldn't have anything like the courage I have. I wouldn't have anything like the power I have. I wouldn't have anything like the freedom I have from fear if God didn't put weakness in my life. If I had a that I'd be filled with fear. Guys, don't you see, if you didn't have the weakness in your life that leads to strength, if God didn't give you the weakness things that just shows you who you really are, and the way you're really made, then you would have no power. Because here's the thing, most of us live up and build up our own lives, build up who we are, these false sense of ideas of who we are, to make ourselves feel good about ourselves. We build up our own lives thinking, hey, I'm really smart. Hey, I'm really successful. Hey, I'm really rich. People really like me. And we build it up, build it up, build it up on these things, right? But once we build it up on those things, we're not gaining in power. But we build up on these things and what ends up happening is we're building it up on strengths because maybe you have those strengths. But then what happens when it's all taken away? You're left with nothing. But when you build up your life on your weaknesses, knowing that you are made for more power than that. When you build up your life on the fact that you're in need and you need a savior and then you need relationship, then all of a sudden you're building your life on love so that you can go and look and all of a sudden you have more power because now you're free. You're free from having to build up these things that try to give you strength. You're free from the bondages of, of other people's thoughts when they think about you. You're free from my, even my parents' baggage that is placed upon me. I love my parents, by the way. I feel like I'm just crashing my parents. My parents are absolutely incredible. So, you know, if you see them, if they come in here, don't be like, oh, my goodness. God. No. <laughs> but you're free. No longer did the weight of them say you're not good enough. But you have power because in your weakness, you acknowledge, I don't have to be. Does that make sense? You see, pride, conceit comes because our hearts will take any success, any good thing, and we'll use it as a way of self-justification. Anything. Even experiences with God. Paul says, my heart would have taken that and said, I must be hot stuff. I've been to heaven. Actually, automatically, he just knows that what would have happened, and God sends a thorn. Well, we say, what's the thorn? That's the question I said earlier. What's the thorn? The thing is, we don't know. And how wise and wonderful of Paul not to tell us. Because we can identify with him. If he told us what the thorn was, we'd say, well, that's not me. If his thorn was a sin issue that you don't have, then you're going to be like, well, that's not me. So that's okay. Or if it's a a physical ailment that you don't have, then you're like, well, that's not me. But since he doesn't tell us where it is, everybody can then read themselves into the same spot as Paul. We can all relate because while they may be different, we've all had thorns. If you look at verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. This thorn, whatever it was, was so grievous, so distressing to Paul, that he pleaded with the Lord, not just once, but multiple times. God, can you just take this away? It shows that, guys, it's not wrong to ask for God to relieve from the things that cause suffering or hurt. Guys, I know some of you guys are like, well, Lawrence, should we, not, should we pray for suffering so that we grow? Because you're saying all this stuff about suffering leads to growth. And so are you promoting a theology that says oh, we should pray that we suffer all the time? That is not what I'm saying. It is good and it is okay to say, God, this stinks, I don't want this. Do you know who else prayed like that before? Anybody? Jesus. You could be like everybody, that's true. Sorry, that was a bad question. <laughs> There's a parallel hell to Jesus' earnest prayer at Gethsemane, isn't there? Jesus himself even prayed, God, will you take this cup from me? So it's okay. Hear me very well what I say. It's okay to, to not want to suffer. It's okay to say, God, I don't want to go through this. God, this is hard. God, this stinks. God, this hurts. I don't want to hurt anymore. That's okay. That is okay to pray for that. Hear me very well. That is good to pray for that. Jesus prayed for that. But I want you to know that in that suffering and even in that prayer, Jesus took what the Father offered him. And Paul says, even in this suffering, I'm finding power. I'm finding power. Verse 9 said, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. This is the secret of strength and weakness is the grace of Christ. This whole cycle of weakness to strength shows us the truth of when I am weak, I am strong. It shows that the ways of the world are different from the ways of God, and we must stand out in this world. This is the source of strength for all those who are weak, even for the strongest among people who are still weak. This is the source of strength that is not from this world, but from heaven. It's the grace of Jesus. As you see that in your weakness, you're left with nothing else but then to say, Jesus' grace is sufficient for me. And about grace when, when you think of grace i don't want you to think of like sometimes i think of grace as like this idea of like god dropping like rain puddles or like droplets of rain like oh i just received a level bonus of grace i think of like a video game like oh just a power up you know that's, that's kind of I think. god gave me grace i powered up i got a mushroom and i'm now bigger you know it's that, that's not grace what well, grace is the work of Jesus, and get this, I want you to get this, the work of Jesus meets the needs of the people he created. And when I say that, it's this idea that in this world, I say this over and over again, the human condition, is that we are all people who crave to be known, crave a need to be loved, and crave purpose. And we build up all these different idols. We build up all these different ways. We build up different images to try to fill fill that need that we have. And when when I say grace is sufficient, it means the work of Jesus is enough for you to be known and to be loved and to have purpose. Fully. Completely. See, when you're weak, you know it, you can accept and realize that his grace is enough. He takes you from a place of neediness to fullness and satisfaction that can never be taken away from you. You see, if you are strong in your own means, by your own efforts, then that can be taken away from you. You can work out your body all day, lift all the weights, work, do all the cardio, eat all the healthy, healthy foods, be super strong, but then cancer can take that in one simple moment. You can be strong in your wealth, in your mind. You can save so well. You can invest so incredibly, be so smart, start so many businesses, but the market and one bad decision could take all that away from you in an instant. Or you can be powerful in your weakness because in your weakness you realize the grace of Christ that his kindness and favor is towards you and that can never be taken away. Your identity is changed forever. Your weakness becomes your strength. You can no confidently face any suffering or trial because you're loved, cared for, and your future is secure. His grace is sufficient. The grace of Christ is a power, a force that works in you. You see again in verse that my grace is sufficient in you. From a power made power, my power is made perfect in weakness. My grace, my power, is made perfect in weakness. That means the goal, the purpose of that power, power is fulfilled in weakness. We see this perfectly illustrated in the cross. Jesus was made weak, crucified, and died on that old rugged cross. But in his death, he defeated the power of death and rose again to life. And when we have the attitude of Christ, when we humble ourselves, we repent, submit, trust in him his power will always be at work in us, transforming us. So Paul can say in the end, that is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and in insults and in hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, I am strong. Waypoint Church, here's a beautiful exchange. Here's this beautiful reality, this beautiful truth, is that when you're weak, when you're weak, when you're a child and you're utterly helpless, you're given over to somebody else. And then you're strong. I liken it to this. I had a, my, Gina and I had somebody who was living in our basement who was obsessed with kangaroos for a while. And this person always, I learned a lot from this person about, what's that? Kangaroo gestation. gestation, About uh, joeys, are they called joeys? And they live in the pouches. A little baby kangaroo is very weak. And it needs to be in the pouch of their mother. Right? Have you guys ever seen a kangaroo box? I know this is silly. I never should ask that question, but I have. I've been on YouTube before. I've been the rabbit hole of YouTube and i actually see the kangaroo box. They are powerful creatures. The beauty of this exchange is that when we're weak, we're in the pouch of our Savior, and we have a kangaroo boxing power. Yeah, you got that. That's the illustration I'm going with. That's the illustration I'm going with. Guys, I just, there's no other way. I I wish you could truly get this, how powerful you are in your weakness. Because in your weakness, you trust in a Savior that gives you all that you need. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you that we are weak, that we are joeys in the gestation period that get to be in your pouch. And we have your power. God, we love you. God, we just are so amazed at the fact that for some reason there's this incredible situation where strength and weak always come together, and what's growing in this cycle is power. Power that comes from who you are, the grace you've given to us, your sufficient grace that calls us different, that calls us to be outside of this world, that shows up in our weakness to show the world how powerful you are. So may we live in that humility, may we walk in weakness, may we boast in our weakness, because it shows who you are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
2: Amen. At this time in our worship service, uh, we come together for the Lord's Supper. Uh, We do this the first Sunday of the month and the third Sunday, and it's a time when we join with our Christian sisters and brothers around the world in partaking of this meal that our Lord and Savior gave to us. It's a time when followers of Jesus come together and we reflect and remember on the death and the resurrection of Christ and the new covenant that we have in him. For this morning, um, I prayed about what to do and in light of the sermon, and like, how how do we enter into this weakness? And Jesus says, when you pray pray like this. And he gave us a prayer. So what I want to do, we're not going to stand up for this, but we are going to recite the Lord's Prayer. This is, uh, it'll be up on the screen. I know there's a couple versions of it, maybe the version you grew up with. It, it'll be close. There's just a few words might be different. But um, and just in your seat, you can look up on the screen and, and, and say it and hold your hands up, whatever you want to do, your posture. And, and let's just pray the prayer that Jesus gave us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us of our sins as we also have forgiven those who have sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Should say, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. 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 Sorry, that was maybe sent, seemed sacrilegious. I have no idea what just happened on the screen. But God is good, and he hears our prayers, and he loves us, yes. and he gave us that prayer. So my challenge to you is memorize that prayer, and when you, need, when you don't know what to pray, pray that prayer. Yes. That's one of the ways that we can boast in our weakness, relying on the Lord and, and that simple formula that Jesus gives us. So in light of that vein, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, For I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread. Um, and he, when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup. He says, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. For whenever you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. And whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So here at Waypoint, we, we like to have an interactive uh, Lord's Supper. So we invite you to come forward. And if I could get the servers to come up and the band can come, come on up. And what we do is, is we invite you to come forward and we practice a method called intinction. So the server will hand you a cracker. These are gluten-free um, and when you get the cracker, you will take it and then you'll dip it lightly in the juice um, and then you can do two things. You can eat it immediately or you can take it back to your seat and take some time to reflect. We won't all do it at the same time, so you can, you can take the cracker whenever you're, you're ready. And uh, this meal is for those who are followers of Jesus And the Bible does say to prepare your heart before you come and make sure that your heart is right with God. So it's okay to take some time to reflect and then come up, but we generally, this section will go to these servers here, this section will come here, y'all will go to them, and y'all will go to them. So let's uh, rise and and come forward and, and take the Lord's Supper.